Now that Memorial Day has passed and summer feels as if it's upon us, it's time to take stock about what's going on around Longleaf Breeze. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of May the 31st. This is an opportunity for us to just sort of do a general update about what's going on here at the farm because we've been distracted from that with all of the goings-on around here, and uh, frankly, you and I are sort of looking forward to dealing with all of this. I guess the, why don't we start in the orchard and then work from there to Veg Hill. Because we have some very good news and very good things coming out of the orchard these days. We do, starting with the blueberries, of course. The blueberries, we have 41 blueberries. They're in a strip immediately north of the barn, uh, which is by design. We knew that blueberries are among those things that we would want to harvest almost daily during their season. Yeah. And we also knew that in that spot, we could depend on them to get full sun all the time. So, because um, we'll never build anything where the barn is. And it's really in two strips. There's, you know, That's there's right. Two there's two rows there rows. on what we call the blueberry strip. And um, we're getting good production now, particularly from the two-year-old. Which we have is, about six of those. So, right. and And you're right about, I'm so glad we did put the uh, blueberries close to the bar, close to, you know, the apartment where we're living. Because the past few mornings, it's been so nice to just walk right out the door before breakfast, pull fresh blueberries off the plants, and put them right into my cereal. And they're just sweet, succulent, um, nutritious. Oh, I just love it. And that's worked well for you. What has worked well for me is every time I am outside working, I tend to stroll by a blueberry bush, pick three or four, and just pop them in my mouth and enjoy them. Yeah. Which is one of the many advantages of living the way we live, where we don't spray any poison. We can pick blueberries right off the bush and pop them in our mouths and enjoy them, and they are delicious. Right. You just can't beat fresh blueberries. And and they are full of antioxidants, and we probably don't need to convince anyone of the health benefits of blueberries. We'll talk about the blackberries. Those are going full swing, Blackberries are not quite so accessible. Um, This is the first year we've had really good production from the Kiowa blackberries, and the Kiowa blackberries are gigantic. They are just You're holding your fingers up and people can't see that. But maybe You're right. Can, they can't see my fingers, size, can About the diameter of a quarter, perhaps? Is it quite that big? Or maybe, uh-huh. About yeah. the size of a quarter and, you know, maybe an inch and a half long. They're just delicious blackberries, nice and plump and fresh and good. Um, I am, I'm still on a learning curve about figuring out when to pick them. There is a point where they are black. And you say, okay, surely that's right, but it's not. Because they're not sweet enough if you pick Because they're too not soon. sweet enough. Yeah. If you pick them at that point and pop them in your mouth, they are tart. They'll turn your mouth inside out. So what you have to do is wait for them not only to be black, but to be dull. Mm-hmm. And if they are black and dull, then the chances are really good they're going to be ripe and sweet and delicious. But black and shiny, nope. 
<laughs> hold off. And we've got, uh, I know we have some thornless blackberries too. I have a few that those plants are three years, three years old and they're out on Veg Hill. And uh, a couple of those plants are producing, again, we'll never get the quantity that we get from those Kiowas. And they're not as big, but what I've picked thus far are very sweet and, and good. And delicious. Yeah. The other thing that I'm doing on the, the blackberries is this is the season for suppressing primocanes. If we use we use the system that Arlie um, Powell Powell thank you Arlie Powell developed called T-Pups, trans um, trellised production using primocane suppression and what it means is that at this season right up until the middle of June we need to be keeping those new primocanes from developing clip them back right. then. Uh, come the middle of June, we'll let those primocanes come on because they'll be next year's vines. Mm -hmm. um, so th it's real important. And I noticed just yesterday, okay, I need to do some more primocane suppression. So I got to get out there today sometime and yeah. do that. We're seeing the first, the very first isolated persimmons. Those are Asian our, persimmons. These are Asian sweet persimmons. Sweet kind. And uh, we've got one of the uh, Wasifuyu's is actually bearing some fruit. That's so exciting. It I love is those. exciting. Um, we're seeing the very first isolated apples and the very first isolated pears. Um, here and there, certainly nowhere near all of the pears and apples are bearing fruit. And of course, as we've talked about previously, we had very low chilling hours this year. So even right. a tree that might have been predisposed to bear may not bear for that reason. And the apples are on the Anna apples. Is that correct? The Annas are the ones that are producing that. And the Carter's Blue. Carter's Blue apple is a variety that is rated at 1,050 chilling hours. Which is pretty high. Which is pretty <laughs> high. Much higher than we got. But our Carter's blue apple is bearing apples. And we might want to mention why we were attracted to that type of apple tree. It's because it was developed in Mount Meigs, which is just down the road from here. Very close to where we are. And, you know, we don't really understand how an apple was developed in central Alabama that needed 1,050 chilling hours, but it was. And now we're getting production which could mean it doesn't really need 1,050 hours, or it could mean that tree is dying and it's fruiting as a last-ditch effort. Well, we hope it's not the latter, so itself. we'll keep an eye on it. So we will keep an eye know. on it and hope that it's the former, hope that the Carter's Blue really doesn't need as many chilling hours as it's rated to need. That would be great news. Yeah, And then the, the pears, which trees... Which type of pears have the fruit? Uh, well, are they the older trees that we planted, the ones that are three years no, old? No. They're the two-year-old. Okay. I don't think I've seen any pears on those on row 13. Mm -hmm. Which means that maybe we did not plant um, pear trees with low enough chilling hours. Because those trees are certainly mature enough, they should be fruiting by now. Well, it's three to five years. So yeah, that's true. So maybe they're not. I'm but not panicking yet. When we planted three years ago, we really weren't paying any attention to chilling hours. 
Not as much as we should have. That's yeah, right. So, but we'll we'll uh, keep stock on that. And then, what about the plums? Have we gotten any plums? You know, we had one plum last year, which was just enough for us to say, "Well, that would be good if we could get more of that." <laughs> I do not see this year any plums on either the Bruce's, the AU Rubrum, or the Ozark Premier, or the Methley. I don't see any yeah. plums on any of them. And and what's strange about that, if you're talking low chilling hours, is Growing up, we always had plum trees in our yard in Montgomery, and we always had plums. They were very small, but I don't recall any years that we had no plums. So uh, we've had a couple of different houses in Montgomery that had plum trees. Well, and I think we certainly will get plums. It's just we're having to wait a little longer than we Mm -hmm. would like for the trees to mature. Well, that could be it. And then figs. I've seen a couple of figs forming on some of our trees. I've, I've seen figs on the uh, brown turkey, of course. We got some figs on it last year. We're getting our first figs on the LSU gold. Yay. Uh, we're getting some more Papa John figs. We're getting a couple of LSU black figs. No tigers yet. Um, and I guess that's about it. But, hey, if we get all those, we're going to, in the future, have plenty of figs. Well, it, that certainly is our hope that uh, as the fig trees get larger and more established, that we will have plenty of production of figs. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think we will have any trouble once they get, you know, yeah. once they find their pace. And let's talk about some of the, the new trees that we planted just this past winter, uh, pomegranates and olive, which the pomegranates, I guess one, one of those trees was actually a more mature tree than the other two. That's true. <laughs> we lost the wonderful pomegranate um, it the just died. One. Yeah. So we replaced it with, and what you were able to get when you went up to Petals from the Past was, was just it? a larger plant. Yeah. We had to, had to opt for the larger Of a one. wonderful, and it, now I will say we said winter. Actually, by the time we put that one in, it was spring. That's true. And it did have some blossoms on it early on, and we got real excited thinking, okay, we may get pomegranates this year. But those blossoms fell off and nothing came of them. Um, but... You know, all three of our pomegranates are healthy and look like they're going to be fine. We've got a Russian, uh, wonderful cloud. And, uh, cloud. Yeah. yeah. So, and then the olives. We've got olives, don't we? Isn't we that exciting? We have five little olives on our arbutina. Yeah. I'm excited. And and none on the other. Olive none tree. on the manzanillo. Okay. Um, but hey, I'm fired up that we have five little olives I know. on the arbutina. I'm excited. And it was fascinating that. The olives came through the freeze as well as they did. Mm -hmm. Everybody talked this winter and this early spring about how hot it was, and it was hot for most of that season. But I remember that we had, that we went down to, I think it was 17 degrees one night, and I think that's what clobbered that first pomegranate. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It got hit by that. But interestingly, with a, just a little bit of hay stacked up around it, uh, both those olives came through just fine. And it's it's fun to talk about and to think to think about the future and being able to raise our own olives potentially. So you bet. Um, well, you want to shift gears and talk a little bit about what's going on in Veg Hill. Now we're in your world. Yeah, um, welcome to my weedy world out there. And I won't go into all the reasons why I have not been more on top of the weeds, but we've just had a number of time challenges. Um, that have encroached upon the t- what I would normally be using as heavy-duty 
garden management time, but uh, but that's I think things have stabilized now, and I'll be out there more, so I'm trying to be optimistic. But we we talked about a good development last week, which was our what we called our faux perennials, some beans, rattlesnake beans, and the one Kentucky Wonder that has reseeded itself. We've got some lima beans doing the same thing. That those are continuing to produce. Um, I've also found some uh, field peas, and I, I'm pretty sure just black-eyed peas that have reseeded same way that are coming. And I've actually harvested my first three little peas. My uh, spring peas are doing great, and we've been enjoying those, the English peas. They've been wonderful. Um, but There's I can not t- enough of them. And it's so hot, get, and that's something we can talk about. It seems to me it is unseasonably hot for May, the end of May. Um, when it goes up into the 90s every day. <laughs> but um, those plants are beginning to show the stress of the heat. Um, and I probably should stop at this point and mention that with both the bean plants and those uh, English peas, every time I go out there, I pull off about four or five um, stink bugs and have to kill them. They're just everywhere. Um which is not surprising. I had problems with them last year. I've done a poor job of keeping the weeds away from the planting area. And as a result, I, and, and that's a that's not a good thing to do with stink bugs because they overwinter. Uh, so um, that's my farmer's prayer. Dear Lord, I'll do better next year. <laughs> uh-huh. It goes on. But as a result, I'm, I'm in squash. I'm in stink bug control mode. Um, and if I can keep them under control, we'll and have some And continuing to wait patiently for the predators to find them. And we have confidence that will happen if we just remain patient. Yeah, and I'll, cont- I'll mention what I've uh, said several weeks ago and over the course of this spring. I'm seeing more and more ladybugs every year. And this year is no exception. And yes, they're all over the pea plants. They're all over the beans and uh, I know they don't really do much to deter stink bugs, but they are very helpful with aphids. And um, so I'm just pleased to hear those, see those. Uh, the tomatoes are coming on strong. You got those trellised for me this past week, and I really appreciated it. It was fun to realize what a difference you can make by reinforcing the trellising. Our approach to trellising tomatoes is to use a spine of 2-inch PVC that's suspended horizontally. And then we lean three-quarter inch PVC um, staffs against it and lash them into place. And then the tomatoes get lashed to those individual staffs. And that system we used successfully last year and I guess a little bit the year before. And then, of course, this year we're doing the same thing and it's working well. The, you know, the lengths of PVC are all cut, and ready to go. The, That's great, the, yeah. Um, T-posts that hold them up are all cut and ready to go, so everything fell into place. But even with everything already in place, I spent probably two and a half hours did, trellising yeah, those tomatoes because yeah. they really hmm. needed that, you know, cinching up that way. And they're gotten, looking really good. I now. know. We've got a number of tomatoes. And to reiterate I've uh, what I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I'm interplanting pretty intensively with marigolds and basil. And I'm proud to say that I started pretty much all, all except one plant. Well, and then I have a couple of African blue basils. But I've started all of that myself from seed. Which has been a tremendous cost savings. Because yes. you, you picked up last year on the fact that basil, 
available in transplant form gets quite expensive. They're, they they're, they typically are in four-inch pots, and yeah, so they're a little bit bigger, and you got more of a head start on your basil. But four-inch pots, you usually, uh, for an herb, you, you're doing well if you can get it for under $4. But by buying a couple of packets of seed, I got some salad basil and some Italian basil, started those little babies. They germinated beautifully. I even gave some to a friend the other day because I had extra, but um, so I've got plenty of basil out there and just, you know, bought a flat of marigolds. I do have one marigold out there that I started from seed. I gave the others to, to my friend. They did not germinate as well, um, in a, and I don't know really, you know, how to do that differently next year. But um, so I'm going to keep an eye on that plant and see how it, it does. The other thing I probably haven't mentioned to you too much is I am seeing all kinds of basil and some marigolds that overwintered that have come back from last Ooh, year. Oh, no, you hadn't mentioned yeah, that. Yeah. That's great. So now from the, for the basil, it could be that it seeded, you know, that it just the seed got scattered. But some of the marigold plants are in the same spot they were last year. and um, They may have seeded as well. They may have seeded too, but I'm happy to see them. They're not necessarily where I want them, but I'm not disturbing any of them. I'm glad to have them. Well, um, you know, we've talked in the past about the the possibility that we may start putting tomatoes in the same spot year after year. Well, I'm not sold on that. We can talk about it. But, yeah. but I know that you've read some posts on gardening organically that, that would suggest that. Talk about your plant, your peppers and your eggplants. Well, the peppers doing? are doing okay. They're not getting really huge, but then, you know, they don't normally. Uh, well, they, by the end of the summer, I hope they will. Um I've had a couple that didn't make it, and I've and I've got a couple of extra transplants that I'll fill in with. Um, they, but the peppers are doing much better than the eggplant. The eggplants are growing very slowly, and some pest is attacking the leaves. Not just flea beetles. Flea beetle damage I'm accustomed to seeing. They're the ones that leave little tiny holes in the leaves that make they give the leaves a lace-like appearance. And normally, a plant just gets a good enough size going, and it survives and you know, can thrive, and that's what happened last year. This year, the, the eggplants I started from seed are just growing very slowly, but they are growing. They're, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing leaf growth. Um, I bought a couple of Black Beauty plants from the store, put them out. They were good-sized plants, and one of them just got cut off at the knees and just basically disappeared. So we got a critter out there. Um, at first, I thought it might be a cutworm, but it was almost too, the, thin, the the stem was thick enough that I don't know that it was a cutworm. And I've got holes, so I may have a mole I'm dealing with out there. Just got to do a little bit more research. But the other black other black beauty plants doing well. And as I said, the, the eggplants, are be, most of them are beginning to grow. Um, if they can survive the leaf damage and put on some new leaves and just... Um, I know I've got grasshoppers. I've seen those, and I think that's what's doing a lot of the damage. Um, we may end up having to put some row cover over them. I'll, I don't want to lose my eggplant crop, so we'll just see how well that goes. All right. Um, but in general, I'm not able to spend the time out there that I have not been. Uh, this, spend the time that I need to out there. That's about to change, hopefully, and we'll try to get everything in order. Um, but, you know, it's been kind of fun to see... Um, the beginning of summer production. Oh, and I should mention a couple of three good-sized volunteer cucumbers that uh, came up 
from and last year's plant. One that was growing in the asparagus was basically too big. We had neglected it, didn't realize it was forming. But it didn't taste bad. Well, not bad. It, it was yeah. not the best taste. But I'm going to keep an eye on cucumber. that plant now. And then I planted, I seeded some new cucumbers and planted some watermelon and cantaloupe plants and have seeded for watermelon that's coming up really well. Um, unfortunately, my... Um, cantaloupe seeds didn't germinate so i just gave up and put some plants out there yeah um we need to make sure we keep an eye on that cucumber too to make sure it doesn't try climbing on those delicate asparagus Good point. ferns it, when that happens we'll probably just have to remove the That's cucumber true. uh just a brief update about the our centipede grass we um have cleared some space on either side of the driveway up just above the lodge so we could intentionally, so we could park cars people for people to come see us, and it was fun to get help from our daughter Adrian and her husband Eli this last week to get that seeded with centipede grass. Yeah, so we'll um, and we have a video about that. Maybe you can yeah, link that. Yeah, it's an organic moments video. I'll yeah, that's a good point. I'll link to that from the show notes page, and um, it was fun help, having Eli's help even before we seeded to move the fire pit. He and I decided that the fire pit, in order to be well positioned for company arriving, um, that we needed to move that to a new location. So he and I just picked up the old fire pit and rebuilt it in the new location. It worked very, very well. And the other thing the two of you did before you did the centipede grass was putting uh, extending the uh, water line and Good point. New boxes. That was another big project of extending that water line. We put about 500 feet of PVC pipe in and about uh, six, maybe seven faucets. Which is enabling us to water this new grass that we're trying to get established. True, and we need to water today. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, we've got a 40% chance of rain, so we may see some showers, but we can't depend on that. Right. We need to go ahead and water that grass. And the lodge continues to do well. We've got you know, things moving along there, and we're out of time, so we won't take a lot of time to deal with that. But maybe that. we can do an update about that next week. Yeah, and you've been uh, spending a lot of time in Montgomery helping to care for your mom. Right. She had a, some stent repair on her heart done, but she came through it like a champ. I'm so proud of her, and she's uh, at home by herself today. She's doing great. So. And we're back on the farm working, which is a relief yeah. to both of us. We both feel like we need to be here rather than out and about, so... That's our little report for this week. Uh, it has been fun for us to bring you up to date on the general, the routine goings on here at Longleaf Breeze, and we hope to visit with you next week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.